Hi, I'm Chef Joe Seminar with Taste This TV. Today, working with Brock's American Candy since 1904. I grew up eating this product, and now I'm actually cooking with it. Brock's mini clusters are small bites, but have big flavor. Newly launched and in stores this month, they come in two flavors, peanut butter and sea salt caramel. You can visit the website at the bottom of the screen. To see the full list of where and where they are available, they can be found in your local grocery and drugstores. Great news. For a limited time, they have a coupon off for you to purchase these Brock items and recreate these tasty recipes in your own home. Simply visit their Facebook and Twitter page. Brock's has been serving candy lovers since 1927. Other candy favorites from Brock's are double dip peanuts, bridge mix, and maple nut goodies. Break out the Brock's. So now let me just introduce to you some of their minis that are coming out, clusters. Uh, here we got their sea salt caramel, which is what we're going to be using for the base of this product. But I tried to use as many products into one dessert as I possibly could, and I got real creative and I could have kept going, but I stopped at some point. But let me just show you a couple of things. Right now we're going to make a ice cream sandwich my way. And what we're going to do is take this vanilla ice cream that we have, and we're going to put it in this bowl with these incredible sea salt caramel minis. And you just chop them up with a knife. And if you notice, I'm going to roll the ice cream around. And you know we get a combination of that caramel, that chocolate, incredible, until you have everything adheres to the ice cream. You have to work quickly so it doesn't melt. Next, we have some phyllo dough. And we're going to take this, put it in the phyllo dough, and wrap this again like a present. And we're going to put it in between two specially blended breads into this gadget over here like that. Cover everything down like that. And then we're going to push this down for probably about 22 seconds. It'll beat twice. Next, we're going to take some caramel here. We're using these milk chocolate caramels and we're putting a half a cup of heavy cream. And we're just going to let that cook down, get nice and creamy, and that's going to be the basis for our sauce here. Now, it sounds like our ice cream sandwich is ready to go. And we're looking good. We're going to pick this up. And we're going to cut this down. As you can see, the ice cream and the caramels are in there perfectly, but we're not done with the dish. Next, I want to talk to you about making this plate. As you see, I have been taking Brock's chocolates and melting them down to different caramels and sauces. For instance, see this chocolate? This is the peanut clusters. I've actually melted them down and put them in a blender. Man, am I telling you, this is the chocolate sauce of 2016. Okay, next, 
I've taken this product with cherries and I've reduced them down to the syrup. And last, I've taken the Milky Maid Royales and, and, and melted them down to this consistency as well. So these are going to be our sauces with this product. And I wanted to show you some really nice melted caramel that we're going to make as the basis of this as well. So let's just cook this down and pretty soon it's going to get nice and thick. We'll lower this heat so it doesn't burn. And what I wanted to do was make a really quick sauce here, caramel sauce, that I'm going to put into in the bottom of this and then put our ice cream sandwich on top. So we're going to take our chocolate. Remember, to make this chocolate, you're going to use peanut clusters. These things are amazing. You just it's very slow, double boil, or you could even put it directly to, to the fire. Just make sure that you, uh, you know, take it off. And we're going to make these nice designs here. Okay, next, we're going to take our next thing that we made, which is the Milk Maid Royales. I really love these. These are incredible. They melt down so good, they give you a really good consistency. And we'll take that as well. Right over like that. And what we're looking for is a combination of design, but also flavor. You know, and I've worked with all of these products, cooking them down and molding them with different ice creams, and, and, and the dessert application is endless for these things, really. So as you can see, we got thick bubbles, but we're not there yet. We're going to let this cook down until we really get a nice, thick consistency. Raise that up. Then we're going to take our cherries. We're going to put some cherries right on the end. And you'd be amazed how good it tastes with this stuff. You just melt it down, melt it down to the consistency. I've added some uh, cherries in there, and they really taste fabulous. Now, this is almost where we want it. It's nice and thick. We're just going to go a little bit more. And you can get really creative with all these products you see behind me. But, of course, we're going we're gonna to pay attention to the minis because this is a new product and really bang up job. They've got other flavors here as well. Their peanut butter is incredible. Next, we're going to take our caramel and we're just going to put it down in the center just like this. Wow. Perfection. I mean, making, cha making chocolates and candies since 1904. Better believe they have it down pat. Now, We're going to take our ice cream sandwich that we talked about. See the feel of dough? And see these beautiful sea salt caramel minis in here? I mean, the product is just incredible. And we're going to put that down right in the center, just like that. And here you have it. A wonderful dessert using a bunch of these incredible products, mostly minis. We've just reduced them down a little bit. And here you have it. A perfect combination. Put that up on there. Well, thank you for watching this fun-filled episode of Taste This TV. I'm your host, Chef Joe Simonera, and this will conclude our dessert segment here on the show. For more about Brock's, log on to the website and check them out. Their minis, their clusters, and all their classic flavors for years that you've been enjoying them. Now you can make them in the home with your own dessert. Taste this. I'm going to show you my version and a twist on, it could be a shepherd's pie, could be a beef stew with just some mashed potatoes, uh, but just an overall hearty beef dish. You could leave the, the beef out totally and just do a vegan dish as well. Uh, and that's fine too, because actually all these other ingredients here, aside from the cheese and the beef, are uh, totally vegan. 
So today we're going to be working with Ferndale Farmstead cheese. Uh, their first one, Fiora de Latte, which is basically their fresh mozzarella. It's a fresh whole milk mozzarella with delicate flavor and textures. It's really made the old-fashioned way, using Italian cultures instead of vinegar. The Cacciotto is a traditional uh, table cheese. It's handcrafted by the Pacific Northwest artisans. You'll find this cheese goes well with raspberries uh, and apples, etc. The Scamorsa uh, is a cheese that's hung on ropes to age. It's a technique used by artisans for hundreds of years. There's the Cascalala, other cheeses you may have heard of before. Uh, however, I love the Scamorsa and the flavor that it really represents. And this is going to be the cheese that we're going to be using today. So I've chosen a New York strip steak, which you see here, and a ribeye. Now, if you notice, I got two strip steaks and one ribeye. Why did I do that? Well, for, simply because the fact is, you know, ribeye tends to be a lot more fattier. And I'm looking for some of those fats to leach into the products uh, that, that I'm going to be using today. So first and foremost, let's do this. We're going to get started with throwing our potatoes into boiling water. And when I throw a whole potato in like this after it's cleaned first, I don't necessarily peel it first. Uh, when I'm making mashed potatoes, I generally like to bake my potatoes in the oven. Uh, that's the, the, the best way I like to make mashed potatoes because it gives it a fluffiness and it really comes out well. However, we're going to be throwing these down and dirty in there. Three potatoes are going to be sufficient for what we're going to do here. And you never want a rolling boil, right? Because then the potatoes just go and bleed into a complete disaster and mess into the water. So we have our saute pan and we have our uh, onion here. And what we're going to do is just simply dice our onion and we're going to add it to the mixture here. And we're going to combine the usual, you know, carrots and uh, some herbs and some vegetables. And a lot of people tend to use celery. Uh, you know, they might say to, uh, you know, oh, celery must be a, a, a must in a sauce, even a demi-glace or a brown gravy or something like that. And I'm here to tell you that I generally rarely use celery in any of the dishes. I just feel like it, it, it lends to a very bitter taste. Uh, and you have to be very careful because you can choose celery that's very bitter and completely ruin your, your whole dish. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think, oh, I have to add celery. And celery is a bitter vegetable. And if you don't taste it before you throw it into your, your sauce, you know, cooking it down for three, four, five hours isn't going to change anything. It's still going to be bitter. Well, let's do the carrots first. Now, carrots, everyone says, all right, peel your carrots. I don't peel the outside of a carrot. I like the rustic look to it. I make sure I wash them very good. I scrub the outside of them. Uh, and I've just always liked that rustic look. Maybe it's like a European thing. But I just feel like you're wasting way too much of the carrot. And since I only use organic carrots anyway, I'm really not worried about the pesticides on the outside of it. So, um, you know, when you're not eating organic, let's face it, peeling a skin or anything outside of a fruit or vegetable could save your life. Okay. Now we're going to go to the beef here. Now, anytime we're working with any kind of raw beef, we want a sanitized towel, which we have here. And basically, what doesn't break down in the cooking, hours after hours, the silver skin lining here, some fat from, uh, or some toughness from the New York Strip, so we don't need that. And, I, you know, with shepherd's pie, we generally want small cubes, so what we're going to do is just cut this down the center, and then we'll dice it. And if you look at this piece of beef right here, you're going to see that it's very lean. There's hardly any fat in it whatsoever. And that's good for flavor. I generally, I like lean cuts of beef. 
But when you're doing a little bit of uh, shepherd's pie or any kind of stew, you know, you want to realize that a little fat from the meat actually le lends a lot of flavor to the dish as well. Now, keep in mind that a lean cut of beef will shrink about 25% of what you have here. So this is going to actually shrink down a considerable amount. So use, use and keep that in mind when you're actually cubing this meat up. Now we're going to do our ribeye. Now the ribeye steak, with the exceptions of the silver skin lining on the top there, we're going to use the whole steak. And, you know, talking about where you get your meat from is very important because if it's not grass-fed, you really don't want to be uh, dealing with beef that's been fed other beef, it's been fed corn, it's been fed everything that's been left over on the farm, it goes through the hopper, it goes in front of them and they just, they just eat. They're animals, they're hungry, they eat anything. They're not picky. But what happens to the meat after the fact is very important. And when choosing beef, I only use grass-fed. And you can find several grass-fed, good grass-fed companies out there. Um, you can go to several stores and get grass-fed beef as well. You'll be paying a little bit more, but hey, it's worth it. As my grandmother used to say, when it comes to putting good food in your body, you should never cheat yourself out just because of price. And that really is 100% true. Now we have our last cut of beef here, which is also a New York strip steak. A lot of people will call it in the industry a 180 shell uh, or something like that. And I'm trimming this too, because if I feel there's any grizzly pieces, uh, I'm not going to want that in my steak. Very good. And steak should not smell like anything. If it starts to smell sour, a rotten egg smell, uh, you know you have, you have yourself a, a nasty cut of beef and you should discard it or bring it back and get your money back. Now, dry-aged beef is also a favorite of mine, too. 29-day uh, dry-age, ultraviolet, you know, controlled temperatures. If you go to some of these big meat packers, especially in the Bronx, New York, that I'm accustomed walking through, uh, you'll see these incredible drying refrigerators that are, you know, 1,000 square feet, and they've had these meats, and they're tagged, and they're watched, and they're controlled. Uh, you could also go to some well-known steakhouses that do it as well. There's some really good ones in New York City. All right, now what we're going to do is get rid of some of this stuff here. Wash our hands. Okay, now... Now we got most of the ingredients in there, right? So we want to give it a couple of seconds because we want that really cooked flavor. We want some caramelization from the vegetables that are in here, the onions, the carrots, uh, the beef. You know, we want a little bit of that charred brown flavor because we're going to deglaze. And I'll talk about what I'll, whatever else is over here. But first, we're going to deglaze with a little bit of wine. Now, I've changed this up a bit. I've used uh, white Zinfandel. You know, classically with this kind of dish, you would use a Merlot, you know, red wine, a deep, rich body. Uh, I'm using something a little lighter, uh, not as dark. Uh, let's go down the list and, and show you exactly what I got. I have chilies in chipotle sauce. That's going to give it that little kick that we're looking for. And we have a little bit of this fermented soy uh, miso paste. This really takes the place of salt, in my opinion. Nobody's ever going to know it's in it. So when you say to yourself, I put a little miso in there, you might get, you know, avid people that really don't get down with all these uh, new foodie things that are coming out. They might say, oh, miso. But you put this in there, and it really just lends itself to a nice, salty, 
aged flavor, fermented flavor, and that's what we're looking for with this dish. We have kosher salt, we have paprika, we have celery salt. Now, I talked about in the beginning of the show, and, and if you watch past shows, you know, I just don't get down with the celery. Just don't like it, you know? I just, I never liked it. I worked under Chef Christian Delivery for many years. He hated to put celery in, in the sauce, too. I just can't stand putting celery in any of the stocks. The only thing I will, will put celery in is maybe a chicken stock, uh, because I, I feel that it, it even if it is bitter, it, it kind of blends in pretty well. But when you're talking beef, out of the question. Celery salt is a great replacement. Incredible smell. You're going to get that aroma and flavor of celery. You're going to get a kick and a dash of salt in there as well. Soy sauce, but low sodium soy sauce. Why low sodium? Because I got a heck of a lot of salty items going on here too. I got the soy, I got the salt. So, you know, when you're cooking, always think ahead. What's your salt content in there? You know, you, you always want to season stuff at the end, not in the beginning. I'm a big fan of that, you know. Uh, you can always add a little bit at the very end, but you can never take away if you put too much in your dish. And it would be a real pain in the neck at this point to spoil what you have now. So let's turn this over. I've obviously waited a while, and you see that there's a lot of caramelization happening here. And the fat from the beef is starting to render now, and so you're going to get that flavor. My vegan friends out there could totally do this without the beef. You get the same amount of flavor. You wouldn't have to change anything. Okay? All right. Let's go down, down and dirty here with this. I'm only going to use like a little portion of this. I don't want it that hot. Next, we're going to deglaze with the Zinfandel. We're going to turn this baby up full blast. We're going to turn it up full diaper. All right. We're going to let this cook down for a little bit. And the flavor of the alcohol, what we're looking for is just to cook, cook it down to get the sweetness of it. You know, it'll help with the body, it'll help with the, with the flavor, the aroma. It's really looking nice. Next, we have some lentils. Now, lentils will help in the thickening process, even though I have a little bit of arrowroot here that I'm going to be using uh, to thicken this because a shepherd's pie or a beef stew, um, I generally would like to cook it for five hours. I don't have five hours on this show, so I want it to look good and quick for, for everyone at home. We're going to add our lentil beans. Um, these lentil beans will cook relatively quickly. We're going to add them in there as well. And just the smell that's coming off of here is really incredible, folks. You have the smell of the wine, the beef. I mean, right here we can stop, but we're not. Now we go with the miso. The miso is going to give it that, that dark flavor, too, that, that ale look, you know? Uh, many people making, look, right away, it's going to turn it, make that a darker, more comfortable stew-looking type of thing. Many people like to put uh, a, a gravy enhancer or coloring in there, filled with all artificial preservatives and chemicals. Stay away from all that junk. This is 100% organic, good product. We've got some peas we're going to put in there in the beginning. Now it's starting to look like what, what, what we want. We're going to add soy sauce. We're going to add a little bit of the salt. Not much. We can always season later on. I have a little bit of water here, and I have a little bit of arrow root. It's not cornstarch. It has very similar qualities to it. This is organic. We're going to add a little bit of our paprika. And that's really going to give it a nice kind of smoky flavor here. And we have our celery salt. We're going in with all that. So 
Uh, take a look at that. All right, now we've, we've been cooking for 10 minutes and already it looks like it's ready to roll, okay? We can't forget that we still have our potatoes here and our potatoes uh, need a little bit more time, but uh, when they come out, we're gonna mash them up. And we're using something called this Fontina cheese that we're gonna be putting into this as well. And this Fontina cheese is gonna give it a rich, really nice velvety texture because, you know, Fontina cheese is great for any type of stuffing with the cheese, like if you make your classic pork valdostana, right? Your prosciutto, your cheeses, your salt, your pepper, and you roll it up, your flour, egg, breadcrumb, and fry it. This is the cheese that's going to be perfect for it because it's got some body, but it's a great melting cheese, and it gives it some really great silky flavor. So this is the cheese that we're going to be putting at the very end. Now, why do we put cheese at the end and not in the beginning? Cheese will melt, go to the surface of the pan, and burn. You cannot braise any type of beef or any type of braising technique, adding any type of cheese whatsoever in the beginning. It's only going to fall to the bottom and burn. So why don't we do this? We're going to get cleaned up when we come back. Hopefully the stew will be ready and we'll get right to the potatoes. So we're back and our stew looks perfect. Almost good enough to eat. Maybe needs another two or three minutes. But we've actually taken our potatoes, our Idaho potatoes out. Uh, they're done. And I'm going to show you just how, a, a quick way of making our, uh, our one-stop mashed potatoes. But we can't forget about this Fontini cheese, which is going into this stew. Now, I've used clumps. You could shred them if you'd like. It really doesn't matter. Uh, when making this stew, I've always felt that biting down on a, a, a big piece of softed, melted cheese is always a winner. So you're going to get the flavor. It's going to leak out of there. It's like, you know, when you're making um, a pasta fagioli dish or something like that where you're using the rinds of the, um, the cheese wedge. You know, if you ever see those rinds, don't throw them out. They're great for putting them into uh, different types of soups and stuff like that to get that cheese flavor. So as you can see now, everything's starting to, and, and the sauce actually gets thicker right because it's got the cheese in there it also gives it like that velvety type of look so with that being said we're going to shut this off let this sit we're going to grab our bowl and we have our potatoes there's really no easy way around this uh, if you want to do it right you, your hands are definitely going to going to hurt they're going to burn and the whole thing about keeping the potatoes away from water and cooled is you have to you have that fluffiness that starchness that you can continue to work with your potatoes so just with a spoon like I'm doing or a butter knife or the back of a butter knife you can just take that skin off completely you don't want to run your potatoes under cold water I've seen that way too many times and it just doesn't work and the skin comes off relatively quickly and put your potato right in the bowl do the same thing now, if you're making potato salad, you'll do this technique exactly the same, although you'll leave the potatoes in the refrigerator in its whole form for 24 hours. And then you'll peel the skin the day after. And then you'll chop up the potato to mimic the shape of a potato salad. And you'll just make your mayonnaise mixture and stuff like that. It'd be the best potato salad you've ever had. Throw a, a hard egg yolk in there with some mustard powder and you are in heaven. All right, I got this piece of skin in there. All right, we're down to our last potato. Now there's a potato ricer, which you could use as well if you want to get technical. I've always tried to like to cook with just the basic, basic utensils in the kitchen. I don't really get into gadget cooking that much. I never really have. 
So the potato ricer will work wonders with this as well because it'll, it'll rice it together in a nice fine mixture of potato and you'll be able to make your mashed potatoes nice and smooth and creamy, but you'll be able to do it the same way here. This just takes a little bit more elbow grease. All right, we're ready to add what we need to add in here. So we're gonna take our butter. It's vegan butter. You can use uh, any type of butter that you like. Uh, I like European butter, it's got a high fat content. We got some salt and white pepper. And then what we're gonna do is take our potato masher that we have here. Now, if you don't have a potato ricer and you don't want to put this in uh, uh, a machine that, that, that'll whip it up for you and you, you do it the old-fashioned way with the hand, you're just going to continue to do it like this. And it's, wow, this looks beautiful. And make sure you try to get as many lumps as you, as you can out of it. Can you use a fork to do this? Absolutely. There are no rules in how you choose to cook and no... There's some basic techniques, but sky's the limit. Now, you could do one of two things with this. Now, let's just say, and I'm just going to give you an example right now with this, right? Let's say you wanted to take a little bit of your mixture. Wow, look at this. This is beautiful right here. Now, you're putting your, your beef mixture here. You want to call it shepherd's pie, fine. You want to call it stew, whatever. You say tomato, I say tomato. You're going to take some of your mashed potato, just like this. This is the best technique to do something like this. And you could use a, a baking kind of gratin dish. This obviously you wouldn't put in the oven because it may have a chance of just breaking. But what you want to do with your fork is just go like this all over the mashed potatoes. This is how you make shepherd's pie. And a lot of people are like, is that a design he's doing? What is he doing? It'll allow, when you put this in the oven, the mashed potatoes will actually get nice and crispy and golden brown. And especially these little flakes that are coming up. And that's what's really going to make your shepherd's pie amazing. Because when you dip your, your fork in there, you want that complete texture and flavors here and everything like that. And then you want that crispy mashed potato. Uh, and you're only going to get it if you do this. You can, or you want to get fancy, you could put it in a pastry tube under like, you know, number eight flute and draw some nice designs on there and bake that in like a twice-baked potato. You can do that. But at home, let's face it, you probably don't have those things around nor the time. So this is real quick and easy. Uh, that's your shepherd's pie. So just use a ramekin. You know, obviously this is not the dish you want to use, but I'm just giving you an example of what you can do. But the real purpose of this dish, I always like to do, is, you know, you sort of have... Your, your, your beautiful plate here. And you'll take your mashed potatoes. And put that down like so. And you'll take your back of your spoon and just make a little hole. And a lot of people say that that's the gravy hole. But in my world, this is the pecan oil world. So we're gonna put a little pecan oil because the nuttiness, the flavor of this is gonna be incredible. So we're gonna fill that up right to the top and the nuttiness goes absolutely perfect with those potatoes. Now we're gonna take our stew and we're gonna to start to assemble this on the dish. You notice what the cheese did? Just give it a whirl, look at that. 
I mean, it created something really unique and flavorful here. And I'm going to get a couple of really big pieces of that cheese. See how it just kind of sits in there? Man, that is good. And the smell is incredible. Wow. This is, this is a dish worth trying, I'll tell you. There are some that are just entertainment. This one, run and get these ingredients. And uh, all my vegan friends out there, if, uh, if it just so happened that this wasn't going to work out for you because of the cheese and the meat, you could certainly do a, a vegan style stew as well. Make sure you get those carrots. And see what those beans did in there? Those beans really lent a lot of flavor in here and texture as well. And last, you just take some cracked black pepper over the top. And that'll really bring this dish together, especially with those mashed potatoes. So here you have it. If you really were into the shepherd's pie, follow this technique with the fork. You're going to love it. Or you can just take this classic turn on this beef stew dish with this cheese uh, and take it to another level. All right. And then, of course, anytime you want to freeze this or put it uh, in kind of storage unit, you know, I don't suggest you take it. You put it in a, a steeled lid and throw it in the refrigerator. You want to airtight it. You know, get the air out of it. It'll be preserved a lot longer, uh, especially if you want to throw something like that in the freezer. I mean, I've done this with this dish. I've put it, I've frozen like little, you know, 16-ounce bags right in the freezer, suck the air out of it. When you're ready to go, sous vide, right in boiling water. You put it over rice, over potatoes, over pasta, whatever you wish, uh, and you're going to have yourself a, a great dish. So I hope you enjoyed this fun-filled episode of Taste This TV. I'm your host, Chef Joe Simonero. Remember, there are no rules in cooking. Taste this.